0: Hello, I'm Mark Trikel, and you are listening to With Flying Colors, the podcast where I interview subject matter experts to provide credit union leaders with tips on how you can achieve success with NCUA and also pass your exam with Flying Colors. Today, I'm excited to say that I'm joined by Vin Vietan to talk about credit culture. Then, before we jump in for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and your career and the experiences you had in that career? Sure, Mark.
1: I am a retired senior credit specialist from the NCUA. I had worked there for 11 years. I retired last February. But prior to that, I was a commercial banker and senior loan officer through in New Hampshire for a lot of years. And then also, I had the good fortune to work in industry as a controller to a large ready mixed concrete company. So through that, I've learned an awful lot about commercial credit, uh, working with borrowers, working in good times and bad times. And so I was a lender. I was actually a borrower when I worked for the concrete company. And I also then was a regulator. So I like to say I worked on all three sides of the desk and enjoyed each of those experiences as it gave me good perspective in the overall commercial lending world and process. And
0: I know that when you and I have been on the calls with some of my clients and you've walked through having been on all three sides, and that's not something that everybody at NCUA was able to say. And like for me, for example, I had 33 years at NCUA, essentially came right out of college, and now, out consulting in the world, I'm working with credit unions and adding that second leg uh, of experience. But there's one thing I remember you saying in some of our discussions when you were at the, the concrete place. I remember you there's this conversation you had with maybe the owner where he talked through his responsibilities, like to the families that, that worked at, the, at that company. Would you care to walk through that example here for our listeners?
1: Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Cause it was that was a very special experience because I was fortunate to work for an individual who whose focus was his company, but his focus was on his company because he wanted to provide the best product and service to his customers and he wanted to treat his employees fairly. So it was a great place to work and get real perspective to what the value of what small business, in this case, it was more of closer to a medium-sized business, does for not only the community, their customers, and their employees. So that was really great. But one day, he was, at one point, he used to smoke, and he was a very busy guy. I And to get his attention, he'd always come into my office, I didn't smoke, and he'd say, hey, Vincent, you need a cigarette, which meant we were going out on the porch, which is where He'd have a cigarette and I could finally talk to him about all the things I wanted to talk to him about. So I was very excited one day. And as we were out there and we were watching trucks go back and forth, he had 21 locations. So we were at the main location. So there were a lot of trucks going back and forth, pickup trucks and concrete trucks. And he looked at me as one of the trucks went by and he said, hey, Vincent, I've got to buy groceries for 300 families every Friday. And boy, did that that hit me. I, I understood that. But when he said it, I thought, wow, that's even a, a bigger responsibility than guaranteeing a loan. He's made a commitment to these people. If they perform certain tasks during the week, he was going to pay them. And, and there was never a problem paying them. But it, it, I realized, so what we do as lenders is very important because it even goes beyond the owner. It goes down to the employees and we should have fun doing our job, lending money, and enjoy doing it, but at the same time, realize how important it is and how many people it impacts. So yeah. that, that was a, that was just a great experience.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. And it stuck with me when you've said that. And it's as regulators, and having only served as a regulator, you often can lose sight of that. It's what's the regulation say? How do you button everything up? And sometimes that by buttoning everything up, you can eliminate too many risks. And at the end of that equation, there are families that need to be fed, and in the middle is the lender. So it's really, again, you've done all of those things, which really brings you a neat perspective. And and so I, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to have you on so that we can share that here with the audience. So let's jump in.
1: But well, just a quick comment, Mark, Absolutely. if you don't mind. And that's what me. I want to talk about NCOA a little bit. What. So I, I had these experiences, which being an old guy, I got to go through plenty of good and bad times. I saw real estate booms and busts and businesses struggle and businesses be successful. So it was, I always appreciated the opportunity then to finish my career the last 11 years at NCUA, where I could share a lot of what I'd learned over time and how important again, I'm repeating myself, but how important commercial lending is and what we do and how it impacts other people. So that was a lot of fun, those 11 years I had at, at the agency working directly with credit unions. I went out on a lot of exams and then also using experiences to regulation that made sense and was appropriate and also provide other guidance. So that was a lot of fun. I, was, I always was so thankful that I was able to finish my career by sharing all the things that I learned
0: over time. And I was thankful and we were thankful that you were there and you're being modest. You did do, you mentioned the regulation I and mean, you had a heavy influence on the last version of the regulation. and uh, You also influenced NCUA by training NCUA staff on commercial landing. All right. That's a great background to let the audience know where you come from and, and the journey you've had. So let's, let's talk a little bit about today's topic, which specifically is commercial credit culture. And with that, Vin, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you, what is commercial credit? That's
1: a great question, because I think if you asked a hundred people, you'd get a hundred different answers. It's one of those things also too, you know it when you see it, but essentially what it, credit culture is your approach to providing credit to your customers, your members. I did say customer, didn't I, I thought I got rid of that 12 years ago, <laughs> I left banking. but for the members, and it's something that starts and well what it does is follow your institution's values and mission applied through the credit. And it's going to be how you approach the credits, what your goals are with the credits, what your risk tolerance is, your risk another word for that is risk appetite, which is a whole nother discussion, although it overlaps. Very much into credit culture. So it's how you're going to, wh- why you're providing commercial f- financing and, and then really how you're going to do it.
0: And you know, that's a, a good uh, definition. So, why does a credit union have a credit culture?
1: I think you have a credit culture so you can provide thorough and consistent credit to your membership and, and, and consistent is really important. It's if you have people out there, your people meeting lending staff that are just lending based on how they feel about the credit is gonna be a hodgepodge of credit and very inconsistent service to the membership. It, it's gonna outline your whole philosophy. in fact, I was thinking about it and a good example I can give you about credit culture Believe it or not, NCOA has a credit culture. They do. And it's reflected in the new rule that was uh, put into place in January of 2017. But where you're going to understand the credit culture is if you read through the preambles to the proposed rule that came out in July of 2015 and the uh, the final rule, which was February of 2016, I think. But the, the preamble outlines what NCUA thinks uh, how credit should be provided and to say it in a nutshell would would credit the credit culture at NCUA is obviously for the credit unions to provide safe and sound credit but its approach should be fulfilling its its mission as a credit union of providing thorough and accurate credit member service meaning what if you read through the preamble it the constant theme is you're providing credit uh, in and in by being very thorough and understanding your borrower and the reason you do that is so that you understand the borrower's needs and, and what that that thoroughness requires knowing the borrower's business, knowing the borrower themselves and also, have a very good understanding of the financial condition and trends of the business and the member that by understanding that you're going to be providing financing that's appropriate for the borrower, meaning it will be within there. It will be properly structured based on its purpose and collateral, and it will be in the ability of the borrower. Again, that would, and the ability to borrow be in the repayment ability of the borrower. And, and the important word there is properly structured because that will obviously be structured appropriately for the assets securing it and the needs, not just structured so that they can make the payments. And, and if they can't make the payments on a properly structured loan, then obviously you need to have take some time to explain that to the borrower and, and how they should approach maybe future request with the credit union. In other words, the philosophy of NCUA is, is good customer borrower service so that they can provide appropriate and appropriate financing to safe and sound lending.
0: So well, There's a lot there to unpack. And I wrote down a couple of the key words, but I, you, you pointed the listeners to the preamble. And just in general, I always found reading the preamble, on any regulation, as it shows the intent of the board, it can almost be more revealing than actually reading the actual language of what you can and you can't do, because they'll give examples, like you say. Whatever regulation you're looking at or thinking about, whether it's commercial lending, whether it's the investment regulation, read the preamble, go online. They're, They're easy to find if you type in the right keywords, but you'll learn as much about a regulation in the preamble as you will in the actual language of the regulation. So uh, then you know, appropriate for the borrower. Sometimes borrowers will come in and be asking for things that they think they need, and it sounds like you're saying that that when you have a a good credit culture, you the the lenders, the the commercial lenders can actually guide them into understanding what makes sense for them to ask for, what might not make sense, and then also having consistency across across the membership for like-type borrowings, am I interpreting that right?
1: Yes, and I, I think, and and I'm speaking from, of course, these are my thoughts regarding providing commercial credit in, in the credit union world and outside of banking with the credit union mission being to provide service to their membership. I think there's an added responsibility that credit unions be very complete in their approach, in evaluating commercial credit risk, with the focus being on the best interest of the borrower. You know, providing credit is really a value-added service. Some of the requests you get are pretty straightforward. It's good company, good cash flow. They know why they needed to borrow money. That's great. Others, they can't afford what they want to do, and you have to make sometimes a tough decision there, but take the time to explain it to them why. They may not be able to, you're not able to approve that loan. But the real, you really earn your money when a borrower comes in and says, Look, I got a good company here, but I don't have any cash. What's going on? And you take some time to evaluate what's going on with that business and realize that and help them identify where there could be some strain in their financials that are impacting their cash flow or their liquidity. And take that time and explain it to them and then structure a loan that's appropriate to help them fix it. And it's always, I, I feel, and that's part of your credit culture, right? You're there providing, we're not here just to say yes or no to loans. We're here to provide the right financing for that borrower. So it's really important that you take the time, and especially in the credit union world, seeing how we're not, you're not out there to satisfy stockholders, you're out there to satisfy that person across the desk from you is asking to borrow some money.
0: That's a great differentiation. The member owner sitting across from you is different than you know, maximizing the bottom line in a bank. Yeah. So so who's responsible or who establishes the, the credit union's credit culture? It, it
1: really starts at the top. And there's a few different ways of looking at this. In my opinion, again, these are my opinions. You got it, it. It, I think it's very good for institutions to have that discussion internally. I'll talk about that in a minute. But it really starts out at the top with the board. The board sets the mission statement for the institution, the values of the institution. And then it's the senior management, along probably with the board, uh, uh, senior management of lending, to then create that credit culture within within the institution by sharing those values of the board and mission of the board in the credit process. And I was thinking about this, and I never did this, but I think this would be a fun exercise for a lot of credit unions is sometime bring your credit team together, your commercial credit team together and sit down to them and say, ask the question, do we have a credit culture? And obviously, hopefully they're going to say yes, and then ask them, what is that credit culture? And then have a discussion around the credit culture of your institution, so it's clear. Then help make the message clear on what your your expectations are in providing safe and sound and appropriate credit to your borrower. Uh, in fact, I'd love to sit on one of those conversations someday too. I'm looking back now; I never did that. I was a senior lender in two banks, and I never did that with my staff. And I look back now and wish that I could, because it would have been a great opportunity. To make sure we're all on the same page as we went out uh, looking to find and add, add to the commercial portfolio. But uh, like I said, Mark, it, it really starts, there's the values of the institution, and they then they are reflected into the credit, the credit culture of the institution.
0: No, that makes sense, and of course, I don't have the regulation in front of me, but I'm I'm pretty certain that the regulation would talk about the board need to, needing to approve the policies to comply with the regulation, and as part of those policies, credit culture could be addressed in those policies or separately in procedures. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, and it's it, and just in in everyday activity, it's it permeates through. But yeah, and I'll be the nerd here because I was involved with writing it. I don't. where yeah, you'll find good outlines for your credit culture to be in in part seven twenty three three, which is the board's responsibilities and senior management talking about the type of lender and the experience they should have, and then seven twenty three four. That's the regulation seven twenty three commercial MBLs and commercial loans, and that outlines the procedures and process because you need to have good systems as part of a credit culture and. And good processes, well-defined processes, again, so you bring that consistency. What it does also is if you've got a good credit culture, those who are not as experienced but need to be involved with evaluating credit risk, meaning the board and sometimes other senior management that are not directly involved with credit, if you have those good processes and consistent processes in place, then they get trained on how they should start, at least at the level they're involved. You'll train them in how they can better understand the risk associated with those credits that they become involved with.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, so you mentioned systems and training. Part of that is the next thing I wanted to ask you relates to how do you implement the credit culture?
1: Well, yeah. You're going to start by having the systems and processes in place. Uh you'll also be able to reflect it in the training and education you provide. There should be a lot, there should always be training and education involved as the industry changes and the approaches changes to credit. I know in my long career, we shifted from just straightforward debt service funds available to support debt service to including important balance sheet components in our analysis also. So that was, that's, shifted many years ago in the beginning of my career, but it was important to stay trained in that. But mostly it's, like I said earlier, that you know it when you see it. And if there's a good credit culture in your institution, you're going to have a similar approach by your entire staff in providing that credit to your borrowers.
0: I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here. So you know it when you see it, Uh, it's more of an art than a science is what jumps into my head with that. And if I was hearing that maybe as a credit union, I I think sometimes that dance of knowing when you see it can be a challenging part of the examination, right? Because NCUA is asking questions and saying, you need X, Y, and Z. And the credit union is looking and saying, our credit culture is this. And then the examiner refers back to the regulation, which was black and white words that, that may or may not mean a few different things. But can you speak to, to d- d- does what I'm saying make sense and fit into this? I guess it probably fits into every aspect of commercial lending, but the credit culture piece, piece is what we're talking yeah. about. And so you, it's an art. And so how do you regulate an art? I'll tell you, I think,
1: hopefully, the the examiners are also familiar with the preambles and the rule itself.
0: Great comment.
1: And I think this is a—that's a good question mark. I hadn't given it any thought, but as a to, as an answer, when we wrote the rule, there was a few of us involved. We decided to just—and and at that time, instead of just being the MBL rule, we added commercial lending. The reason we added commercial lending. Is because there's a standard pro. There's a standard way of providing, and accepted practices for commercial lending. So if you read through the, the first the rule itself, but then you read through the preambles, you'll see that there's nothing uh, revolutionary or <laughs> revelationary in in that preamble, it was written for basic standard accepted commercial lending practice. So I think if you take the time and so what's in what the expectations of the bar of the examiners should be that you're using accepted reasonable practices in in providing commercial credit and evaluating commercial risk. If the examiner is is not seeing that, then I think that's room for a discussion for both you and the examiner, not immediately acquiesce to the examiner, but have a thorough discussion about that, what you're doing makes sense and you're properly evaluating the risk and that by doing and by your process, you're providing appropriate financing for the borrower. I can't stress that enough, appropriate, financing for the borrower that's really what your job is and that means financing that is paid back within the ability that's struck i want to say structured against properly structured financing that's paid back through and within the financial ability of the borrower
0: now that's good advice and again going back to the art of it there's the discussion there's the discussion between the examiner who may or may not be a commercial lending specialist and credit unions that do a lot of loans, a lot of commercial lending. They're typically going to see, have some specialists that are involved who have higher levels of training, which can the bar of the conversation, but... It, and then you've got the credit union in the middle and then you've got the member. And oftentimes, again, going back to that art, it's a, it's a, it's about the quality of the questions, the quality of the policies, the quality of understanding. And then having a good dialogue with NCUA and not being afraid to, to say, hey, where does the regulation require that? Why? Where is it that it says that's an acceptable, reasonable practice? Because we believe our practice is acceptable, and so the credit union should confidently believe that they can push back. But they also, with respect, should respect the the knowledge, skills, and abilities of the examiners. Then there have been times, you know, where we've had clients that kind of wanted you or I to be part of that conversation just to make sure that what was being communicated as a necessity is really a necessity. Sometimes the credit unions right, sometimes the examiners. But having a good dialogue and good communication is how. It it works well towards getting a good exam and it works well toward being able to serve your members as best you can.
1: Right. And I'm glad you brought that up, Mark, because it reminds me of my early days with NCUA where I was out on a lot of exams. And it was interesting as we were talking to different credit unions about different issues, I constantly get the question, where does it say that? And I'm thinking, what? I don't understand that question. What do you mean, where does it say that? And we all have to get away from that, including the examiners, that we're not going to... There's no point to document. What we were talking about is evaluating commercial risk. So it's not a matter... It's not a paint-by-numbers. It's have you properly evaluated that risk? And each deal is going to be different, and the approach from each lender can be a little bit different. In fact, one of the things that should be allowed in credit culture is if you've got well-trained and well-experienced and competent lenders, they should have some freedom to use their judgment. If they do use their judgment, they should properly document in the credit proposal why they're, maybe it's an exception to policy or for whatever reason that this is a judgment issue, not so much supported by straight facts and financials and that sort of thing. But getting back to, so- where does it says that, it doesn't say it anywhere, but a good experienced commercial lender knows whether the commercial risk has been properly analyzed. And, and I think that's, as we do talk to credit unions now, and it is a lot of fun to be, again, working with the institutions directly. I think it's important to get that as if you're being challenged by the examiner, be able to support what you've done always be able, as I, I, last night I got asked by somebody and I said, just be able to support what you've done. That's the important thing. What you're saying is reasonable, but an examiner following the paint by numbers is not going to be comfortable with that. So be able to support that you appropriately understood the risk and did sufficient evaluation of that risk.
0: So I was going to ask you about how do you reflect it in policy? Uh, I think we talked a little bit about that. Is there anything you want to add to what we've already said about credit culture and reflecting that in policy? Yeah, I
1: think, again, the, the the regulation itself explains pretty much what you should have in policy, which, you know, and that was the good news again, too, when we did issue that rule, there wasn't any objection to the preamble or to the rule text itself. For the most part, we made very slight changes just fine tune some things when we issued the final rule. So what that says is overall, I think the industry agrees that as the regulation's written, it makes sense. And then they should frame their policy around, around, I think what's in the regulation, which again is overall just accepted commercial loan practice. And if they have some unique situations then, or borrowers or industries that they service to be specific in their policy to that, but I think overall, the policy itself will reflect the credit culture, what your approach should be to evaluating the credit and how you evaluate that credit.
0: So almost every word of the policy is part of the culture you're creating. It is, it, yes, I think so. Okay, got it. Tell to me about uh, credit culture relative to a credit proposal, if there's anything you'd like to add relative to that.
1: Well, the credit proposal sh- should, again... That's another. There should be consistency in the credit proposal. So hopefully the proposal itself will reflect, again, getting back to what I believe, and again, this is me, what I believe should be part of the culture of a credit union should be consistent, but at the same time document the full understanding of what the borrower is what they do, what the loan purpose is, why it's structured however it's structured it's to, to purchase a fixed asset that's pretty straightforward. but if you're providing lines of credit and other types of financing, some kind of cash advance, you should explain why you want to do that and then of course the financial analysis itself should be thorough enough so that you do understand that the bar the, the you understand the trends of the borrow and also that the borrow this is appropriate for what the borrower's financial capability is.
0: Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. One, one more specific question about uh, credit culture. How would you describe credit approach and credit actions as it relates to credit culture?
1: Credit culture is the approach, isn't it? I think that's... Th- why you're providing the credit and how you're providing the credit. And so then actions would be really, to me, credit actions are the approvals and declinations. And also then you would obviously, probably another discussion is if you have a troubled credit, how you're going to approach that.
0: Okay. No, that makes sense.
1: And, and just a quick comment about troubled credit. That's again, where you earn your money that there's a lot of reasons why credits deteriorate and the borrowers have problems. And again, in a member service uh, focused industry, I think that requires special attention also to fully understand that and do that balancing act for the needs of the borrower. But also in, in the end, it's the safety and soundness of your institution that trumps everything else.
0: Got it. Got it. All right, Ben, as we've as you and I have had some conversations with some of, of my clients. I really enjoyed the conversations. The credit union got value. You know, I learned a little bit more about commercial lending than, than it's been a while since I actually flipped loans back when I was a problem case officer, but I've always enjoyed that part of of what credit unions do. And our discussions with clients and some of my other folks that assist me was really what got me thinking that I I would want to do this podcast because I think there's There's inside baseball, if you will, that we can share with the credit union community that will help credit unions. And by helping the credit unions, it in turn will help NCUA. And in this particular interest, instant more than others, it actually helps the members as it relates to the loans that they I I
1: I always enjoyed commercial lending. I I wanted, I wanted the other career I would have had had I not chose lending money. I don't know if I chose it, but it had happened. It, chose it would, you. Would, yeah. <laughs> would have been a guidance counselor and a football coach because your influence on people and helping them. I think commercial lending is as good an alternative or the next best alternative to that, because if you do the business, if you do it right, you're working with, again, a business that has an impact on so much of the local economy, the employees, the customers and everybody else that it's take it do the job as more as a consultant, as opposed to an authority. And I think it'll be a lot of fun for everybody. And you'll find that you're providing good sound financing to businesses.
0: You said, so Vin, this was great. I want to thank you for being my guest today. I'm going to talk through a couple other things that when you and I started talking about having you on the show here, you've put together some other topics that we're going to have coming. And I'm going to touch on those real quick for the listener. So we're going to have a, a a topic on credit proposal. We're going to have a topic on underwriting, a topic on regular, uh, regulatory resources, a topic on credit risk rating systems. And this isn't one that you put on here, but it's one I want to have is uh, global cash flow, because I know that you know a lot about that. And I know credit unions get a lot of questions about that. And then, uh, so, two other things for the listeners here. I listen to a lot of different podcasts and and one of them that I like quite a bit answers follow-up questions to previous podcasts. That's something I'm hoping to be able to do. So if there's anything that was raised in today's uh, podcast that you have a follow-up question on, I'm going to give you an email address where you can send that to me. And then we can address those as add-ons to future podcasts. So that's, that's number one. And then number two, to the listeners, if you'd like to talk to me about how Vin and I can assist you in your credit union, you can reach out to me at CU Exam Solutions at marktreichel.com. That's the, le- you know, CU for credit union, CU Exam Solutions at marktreichel.com, or you can reach me via my website, which is www.marktreichel.com. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Mark Treichel, and I hope you join me again next time for With Flying Colors.